Hi, I'm Lisa Lloyd, and I'd like to welcome you to my podcast, Beyond the Water Cooler. As a psychologist, psychotherapist, and business owner of It's Time for Change, I meet so many talented individuals who are aligned with my mantra, get people right, get business right. I'm going to be talking to some of these super interesting people who have stories, insights, and strategies to share about what it takes to be a great company with inspiring leadership, awesome culture, and a wow workforce. So let's dive in. Okay, so I'm delighted to be joined by Andy Whitaker, partner of Boys Turner and chair of Reading Abbey Quarter Business Improvement District. Gosh, that's like a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? Hi, Andy. Hi there. Hi, Lisa. Um, so I first met you at the launch of the Better You, Better Business event in Reading in October last year, where you provided a keynote speech. And I was really taken by the messaging you're giving. You were um, the language, what you were talking about, really resonated with me. Um, it's very close to my heart in terms of creating the right workplaces for people to want to be um, and spend their time to do their best. So you were a really obvious choice to come along as a guest today. Um, we're discussing employee experience. Uh, is it just another buzzword? So that's what we're going to be focusing on and what we actually mean by employee experience. But before we get into that, tell me a little bit more about you and your roles at um, Boys Turner and with the Business um, Improvement District. Sure, of course. So um, I'm a partner in the employment group at Boys Turner, who are based um, in Abbott's House, just by Forbury Gardens in the centre of Reading. I've been with the firm now for around 13 years. I'm actually a, a, a Reading local too. I was born at RBH many years ago um, and, uh, uh, and I'm involved in many organisations um, in the local area, involving, including helping out various sports clubs, still participating, but also um, coaching kids teams too. But my other hat that I'm here today primarily uh, to talk about as well is as the chair of the, of the bid committee um, for the uh, for the Abbey Quarter, so that's the second of the bid committees that's been established within Reading. The first one, the Town Centre bid, which is um, focused primarily on the retail sector and looking after the interests of the uh, of the various shops and retail establishments that are based around the the very uh, the town centre. Whereas our remit is based more on, as you'd imagine, the, the Abbey Quarter. So lots of the business services. Um, uh, um, organisations that are based uh, in and around Forbury Gardens, but also some of the hospitality businesses too, the Rosiette Hotel and, and various other restaurants and, and bars in the area. And our primary focus is really promoting the area as a good place to work, do business, spend some time, spend some money as well. So we have uh, a budget that's available to us that we use to spend on um, events on hiring wardens for the local area as well in establishing good business practices, whether it be recycling um, or, um, or cleaning. We've had our very um, impressive and award-winning flower displays that we've included and, and had up around Forbury Gardens over the last few years as well. And for any of you that ventured into the town centre of Reading over the last, uh, over the Christmas period, you may have seen the Twilight Trail that was um, in the gardens and around um, the Abbey Ruins. And again, that's something that we had a, a hand in it in, uh, together with the council in establishing and putting on this year as, a, as an event for the local area. So that's that's what we do uh, within the, 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 the bid committee uh, to try and promote Reading as a place to be. It sounds it sounds awesome. It sounds like a very holistic approach because when you think about um, a business improvement district, you kind of think about um, the the more formal, can I say, boring side of business. And actually everything you just talked about that you've got a part in just sounds like really like much more fun and kind of wholesome about the whole you know town um, and about what Reading has to offer, which I think is lovely because it's, it's very much yeah it's, it's kind of what we talk about in terms of being the whole experience well very much so and we've got a few sort of watch this space things planned for this year um but including things like um rewilding some areas um some wildflower planting some um uh greening of the of the waterways as well um so it's all about just trying to improve the area or somewhere that you want to be and i think that's going to come even into more sharp focus or sharper focus um 
during the course of this year as businesses try to encourage their workforces to come back into the workplace and there needs to be an offer there there needs to be a, a draw for people to come in why would they want to spend their time um, in the workplace and so that what we're doing does sit alongside what individual businesses are doing to try and um, you know, encourage people to come into the town centre and then that that um, interacts nicely with the Reading Central bit of course because they'd like people to come into the town centre so that on their lunch breaks they come and spend some money in the shops too so it's it is a very holistic approach. Yeah, that's great so when one of the things that you mentioned where in your keynote speech at the, at the Better You Better Business event was about the great resignation hmm. and we know with all the data around at the moment that people are um, moving <laughs> roles yes. and there was um, uh, so research by um, Robert Half, uh, which suggests that one in five um, employees is now looking to shift to move role within the first three months of this year, uh, which is quite significant. And it kind of lends itself to thinking about, you know, people are thinking New Year, New Year's resolutions, what do I want? What have I kind of learned from the last two years, particularly with different work practices and so on? Um, and people you know, it is, it's a very different market in terms of what people are looking for at, at work. What what would you say about the great resignation now and where things are up to in, in your experience? Well, I think you can take your pick from the various studies and the various research yeah. that's been carried out by, by numerous groups over the last few months, but they're all telling a very similar story, mm -hmm. aren't they, about, a, about people reassessing their lives, reassessing how they want to, where they want to work, how they want to work, um, and there's also um, some expectation changes in what off employers can offer them as well. Mm. Whereas previously, putting my employment lawyer's hat on, for example, for a moment, um, I would have clients from time to time ringing me up, asking me how to deal with a flexible working request that was mm. being made by an employee. And um, the unspoken or sometimes the expressly spoken instruction I would receive is that we'd really like to turn this down. Can you tell us how we can turn this down? And um, within the um, legislative framework, there is a process that employers are supposed to go through and there were uh, particular grounds that an employer could rely upon to uh, justify the turning down of a flexible working request. And it's important to remember that gone are the days where it had to be made by someone who had childcare or caring responsibilities. It's, it's a right that now is um, available to all subject to a, a length of service um, rule. And we know that the government's looking into changes that might be made to that. But whereas previously employers might seek to rely upon the inability to reorganize work or the damaging impact upon the ability to meet client or customer demand, employees now looking to um, gain that level of flexibility on a permanent basis with their employer are able to speak to their employer and say well tell me how this is going to damage or have a negative impact on our ability to meet customer service or customer demand because this is the way that we've been working for the last two years mm. and if you look at our uh, our utilization or our, our, any performance metrics that you look at mm. um well we're, we're doing what our clients or our customers want us to do aren't we so can you explain to me now why i can't carry on or at least incorporate some of the practices that I've um, uh, I've been working through over the last few years on a more permanent basis. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it's not just I want to move on or I'm looking for new horizons, I'm looking mm -hmm. to change up, but also there's this increased expectation about what's possible, frankly, that others might not have had. From a very personal perspective, I didn't really work much from home previously and prior to the pandemic. I'm fortunate enough that I do have a space that I can work from home um, um, and I had the facilities to do so, but I just didn't really feel that I, I wanted to. I wanted to be engaged with my colleagues. I wanted that level of interaction. I didn't want to be remote and separated from people. Um, and that's still my desire. I still want to spend time with my colleagues and I'm a, quite a social being and I, I, I appreciate the interaction. But, you know, I've realized I can do it. You know, it, it's, it's worked for me. Um, admittedly, I suppose I spend most of my day answering telephone calls and, and sending emails, and you, yeah. you can do that from from yeah. most places. But you know, I've realised that I can do things differently, uh, and I was someone who was slightly reluctant to embrace that change to begin with. So it's it's a it's a widespread thing. And I think that's part of the challenge, isn't it? Because it's everyone wants something different. It's so personal that workplaces are having to. Um, you know, a lot of workplaces last year introduced sort of a blanket approach to this is how we want everyone to work. And then they realised that actually they might need a more personalised approach. 
for meeting you know some people want to be in the office more some people are quite happy being in the office less and people it's a, it's a bit of a headache for HR um, but the reality is that where they're able to adjust and do what's right for the employees so that the employees can work in their best way possible um, they are you know their employees are happy they seem to be you know performing well they're talking very well about the company's reputation and so on but that's quite a big ask of companies to offer such a personalized approach rather than just a blanket approach to it that that's right and also it takes um a, a leap of imagination as well i mean clearly you need to ask people what their preferences are and, and what they would like to do but also it's that ability to understand that other people are in different positions to you and it's certainly very um possible for senior managers or directors to sit in their studies in their houses um, uh, nice and warm and secure and thinking well this is perfect isn't it? this is wonderful I don't ever have to commute again and everyone's happy and everyone can contact me and this works great for me but then you're not that graduate fresh out of university or having just completed their A-levels starting out in their career um, it's easy to forget the benefit that you receive from being in and amongst peers both on a professional basis but also on a social basis as well um, I speak as someone who met my wife at work you know it's um, you know that th those relationships are built you know yes. it's a good social thing to do to be spending time with yeah. peers of your same age and so that experience is, is very different to those who perhaps might be the decision makers and that's before you even start starting to factor in people who are living in flats and sharing um, um, uh, accommodation with others who've maybe spent a large amount of the last couple of years working from kitchen tables or in you know in, in their bedrooms you know you, your commute is to get out from your bed and move over to the desk in the corner of your bedroom these are all very different experiences so uh, it, it's not just asking people what they want but it's also trying to understand their particular circumstances and what's driving those expectations and their desires and you may find that there are broad themes where you might find uh, younger uh, and, and, and individuals newer to a business or an organization or in their careers keener to get back in mm. whereas uh, more experienced people are happier and more comfortable and don't feel the need to be interacting but then even that is that those are very broad brushstrokes and that's not going to be applicable to absolutely everyone exactly. so and that is... requires quite a lot of um well it requires a huge amount of empathy and awareness and so on which we're aware not everyone has so um as, as you said you know it's very easy to be kind of tucked away in your own comfortable surroundings and thinking this is how we're going to do things but to actually put yourself in someone else's shoes and to think about what their reality is like you know what their what their values are what their beliefs are you know what their expectations are let alone what their practice you know their physical environment is like is is quite a big ask and I think certainly from my work with companies people are really struggling with that so the people I've been speaking to who are working at home for example are saying we just feel like we're stranded we feel like no one is listening no one gets us no one's asking us and actually if I'm struggling with something um, it's not being taken seriously it's almost being sort of fobbed off and I think there's a real gap between uh, what some people who are the decision makers think should be happening and is happening and then the reality on the ground um, which can feel entirely different uh, absolutely and so yeah there is that level of emotional intelligence that's required yeah. and that ability to listen to what people are saying and to trust them yeah um, you know someone wants to do something not necessarily because of a nefarious purpose so they might be being entirely honest with you about how they feel and what they want to mm -hmm. Uh, and what they want to to have out of their 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 work life balance or their you know their their place of work in the future, I think another point though to, to, that is valid and needs to be remembered is that businesses must also take into consideration where they are and what their needs and desires and wants might be. Mm. Um, you know, I do know of businesses who have said um, we think we need people to come back. Actually, um, so. Um, uh, a particular client of mine that I know who um, has moved out of uh, sort of an owner um, managed um, structure and taken on private equity involvement. They've become much more um, corporate over the last year or so. And they're trying to drive change within that organization as they change their culture, their values, mm. and how they operate. And they took the decision that we don't think we can do that with people at home. 
if we want to implement those changes if we want to bring people with us if we want to engender a, a very deeply held and understood um uh, personality for the business or culture within the business we need people to live and breathe that so we are going to ask people to come back and they did that during the course of 2021 and they did it in such a way that I think they maybe lost one person and they managed to engage correctly with their employees explain to them where they were on the journey of the business why they felt this was important to them they allowed degrees of flexibility and if people have particular cases they want to put forward they were sympathetic to that but they said look this this is just where we are in our in the cycle of our business and what we need to achieve that's what we're going to do and in some ways that was quite a brave decision for them to make because to some extent they were going against the curve going against the grain they were doing something that many businesses might feel quite reluctant to do but they did it because they felt that's where we think we need to be and we've got a positive case to put that to our employees and explain to them why we need to be there so i, I think that, that. Yeah. i love that because um quite a lot of the work i've been doing uh particularly during the pandemic is around leading change and and dealing with uncertainty and there's the the common theme that comes up in most companies is just the lack of information the lack of clarity the lack of um clarity around your your values your vision where you are now where you're trying to get to communicating that to making sure that every you know you're leading that change you're bringing everyone on board and so the fact that someone's standing out on a limb and saying you know what this is a brave move this isn't going to necessarily suit everyone but this is what we're doing because we're clear about what our business is about and where we're going is brilliant because that really empowers um, employees to think actually I'm on board with that and I get it and they're actually prioritizing um, this stuff that's really important and although it might mean I've got to get my head around doing things slightly differently or thinking about things differently I have clarity now about what's happening if it's not right for me I can choose to leave but at least I, I'm clear and I can buy in to, to what the, the company's doing so I think and I think that comes back to this whole you know what is employee experience because there's no one way of of thinking about it when you think about those words Andy what do you what do they mean to you well I suppose it's the easiest way of thinking about it I suppose is just how how being part of that business impacts and touches you and engages with you during the life cycle of your employment mm. and the, the, the key areas that I suppose you will experience it might be um, uh, your, your physical working conditions so you know, whether you're working from home or whether you're working in the office, what you feel, touch, smell, what's what's around you physically. There's also um, the, the the built into that and related to, it, I suppose, is then the the technology, the technology. Mm -hmm. So the actual systems that are available to you. You know, how do you actually do your work? What's mm -hmm. there for you to use? Uh, and then uh, there's the culture that yeah. a business might have. So. Um, not so much the nuts and bolts, not necessarily the systems, but just the way in which an employer chooses to engage with their workforce and, and the way it encourages their employees to engage with one another as well. So I think those are probably, the, the to me, those are the things that, that most stick out, I guess. Yeah. And I, and I, for me, that's very similar. It's always the sum of everything, every contact you have with, with a company. So whether you're actually there, you're not there, um, you know, physically, um, every communication you have with them, it all, it's all about your whole experience. And I think some people just think it's when you're in the, in the office door or you're on a meeting or something. And actually, you know, if you're working, if you're working at home for the company, then actually it doesn't really fit because you're, you know, you, you're doing your own thing there. And actually it's the, it's the whole package, isn't it? It's when you're doing anything to do with that company, it's about your experience. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and good, uh, good examples of the bookends of that, if you like, are that um, uh, we were going through a recruitment exercise last year and there was a candidate that we, we liked very much. But in the end, there was someone who we felt was slightly stronger for the role. And we received some feedback from the unsuccessful candidate saying, you know, I really appreciated the time that I spent speaking to you guys. Uh, you came across as being really passionate and really interested in the work that you were doing. I, you know, 
I'm sad that I've not got the opportunity to work for you this time round, but I really appreciate you taking the time to speak to me. I can see that you're a really positive team um, and, you know, don't forget about me in the future. So that's someone who didn't even get through the door, but it was someone who the interaction with us has left a, a positive yes. experience. And then um, there's a, 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 a good friend of mine who is a, uh, an HR um, director for in the leisure and hospitality sector and they've had um, challenges in the past because of their location being out of London um, of retaining their best staff in particular the, ca the catering staff so chefs etc who have felt the draw of going to work in London um, and gain that experience and had the buzz of working in a big restaurant or a big hotel uh, in London um, and what they did, because they recognized it wasn't something they could really stop, it was just something that existed and they would be people that um, would want to um, potentially engage and leave the business and go and do other things. Um, and so what they did is they said, well, if you want to take a sabbatical for a year, 18 months, then that's fine. And actually we'll engage with businesses in um, London and we'll see if we can arrange for actually you to get placements working for these organizations. So you go and gain that experience. And at the end of that 18 month period, if you would like to come back and work for us again, having lanced that, boiled, you know, scratched that yeah, itch, yeah, yeah. taken that opportunity, then we would love to have you back because that way we get all of that experience built into our organization. And that's fantastic. Mm. If you don't, we understand because you know we'd understand why you might want to um, go and do that um, but don't forget us mm. and do speak positively of us to the people that you interact with um, and um, not just that but could you also think maybe you might want to come and work for us again in the future as a boomerang employee so that's you know a, an, an example of positive uh, employee engagement with people mm. who are on the exit on the way out of the business yeah. and their ability to then pass that information on to others that they might interact with at a later date exactly. about what they're doing and, and their experience of working for you so yeah there's I think yeah. and I think that's a really good story that um, kind of highlights for me one is about the kind of creativity side of business that we really need right now so actually people are having to think outside the box and mm -hmm. when there is a challenge people are having to think actually how can I for example manage the, these employees who you know don't want to be traveling into London how can we um how can we be thinking about things differently so that we are keeping people happy and our reputation stays intact and actually come out of it um really well at the other end but for people to be creative we know that people need to be in a place where they're not feeling stressed and they're in and they're in a um situation where their, their emotional needs are being taken seriously. And I think there's so much pressure on businesses at the moment and on leaders and HR and managers and so on to be making the right decisions really quickly and to be everything to everybody and to be getting it right first time and to know all the answers that almost that, that sense of pressure and stress is increasing people's emotional arousal so much that it's actually just shutting down our ability to be creative. And it's almost people are going back to we just got to we've got to focus on what's really important right now and we've got to focus on the kind of black and white stuff and this culture stuff is a bit too vague for us to kind of get a head round and so on um, and that whole creativity piece goes out the window and certainly that's one of the you know the better you better business event that where i met you first of all one of the workshops i was running there was around creativity you know what mm. we're focusing on and actually if we focus on people being happy and creative and thinking about how we can be creative about roles and thinking about what do people need right now so that they will stay with us or they'll come back to us in the future um then that helps them that helps us and it's a kind of that's a win-win situation isn't it yeah absolutely and i think that 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 particular challenge has been made all the more acute and problematic by the waxing and waning of the pandemic mm. so how many return to work plans have businesses drawn up and then had to shelve yeah. over the last two years yeah. um i look at it as um, the, the stage of the pandemic, you're, you're in the, either the reactive or the proactive stage. And certainly to begin with, we we're all very much in the reactive stage because these were all things that were happening to us and we were having to respond to. So again, from, from our professional perspective, you know, moving to uh, an arrangement for the entire of our uh, staff working from home was something that, you know, in January 2020, if we'd suggested that to our IT department, they'd have 
burst out laughing. Um, and also many of our, um, uh, many of the people within the business were thought, well, there's no way we could really uh, sensibly operate paperless. You know, we sign documents. Um, uh, you know, we have these enormous great big filing cabinets full of paper files everywhere. How on earth are we going to deal with that? So there was a lot of, okay, well, now this is a challenge that we're faced with. We've got to come up with a way of dealing with that in a reactive way. But because these challenges keep coming, they keep coming. We think we know where we are and then we're not. Um, we keep having to react and it's quite difficult to plan and be proactive and think about the future and what we want for the future when we keep getting kicked in the guts and having to you know, rip things up and start again. But I do think that um, now is very much the time that businesses do need to start being proactive if they haven't been already. And I appreciate that we've, we're still not out of the woods on the pandemic yet. And we still don't know where we're going to be. But we risk or businesses risk, I think, sleepwalking um, into problems during the course of this year and next, because whatever plans or processes that were put in place on a reactive basis to respond to the challenges of the pandemic, aren't going to cut the mustard in the next 18 months or so. It, there is a, a new world of work coming about, whether we like it or not. And thinking, it's gone okay, hasn't it? It's gone okay, we're all right, um, is not going to be enough. We now need to start thinking much more positively about, okay, well, we've got over that, um, that you know, initial acute challenge, but there are also now some substantial long-term challenges that we need to think strategically about because otherwise we're going to miss out on the opportunity to get ahead of the game here. Absolutely. And I think that's where, when sometimes I hear people saying, yeah, we've, you know, we've done it, we've done it really well and we're really happy with where we're at. And I kind of say, right, right now you're happy with where you're at. Yeah. Next month you need to review it. And this whole idea about having a plan that is a plan that's going to last the next year six months whatever actually your plan is probably going to be reality for the next fortnight yes um, and then it might have to tweak again and it's a huge amount of work but i think you know there is such a fluctuating um environment in terms of expectations and you know just what we're allowed to do, not allowed to do and so on but i think also if we keep at the heart of it understanding our emotional needs like if we keep that at the heart of everything so we know that people need that sense of status so regardless of what's happening how do people feel good about themselves and what they're doing and what they're contributing and people need connection so how do we keep people connected in whatever way they're working and we know that the emotional side of um uh well-being so you know that sense of being connected that sense of um being recognised for what we're doing, uh, the sense of being able to contribute, our values and so on, that's, that is what we know employees are looking for more than the glitzy office or more than um, better pay or whatever. And I think it's an interesting debate when people talk about, well, we just give, give them more money and actually whether more money is enough now. And I know some people say, you know, it's a very competitive market, we'll just throw, throw more money at people. But from my experience and from what I'm reading, actually more money is not the answer. It's about places where you can go, where you do feel connected, you feel part of a team, you feel that they're aligned with your values and your beliefs and so on. Yeah, I think that's definitely right. I mean, uh, it's, it's worth remembering, of course, that we don't have bottomless resources. So yeah. it's not always possible to just yeah. throw money at things, even if we wish to do so. But also, um, again, talking about an interaction that I had with a client, um, they were talking about... Um, challenges that they had with um, some of their engineers and a manager within that team who had experience of working both uh, on the Indian subcontinent and also in America and there was an expectation that the engineers would work sort of 20-hour days and would be you know really committed into what they were doing and you know eat sleep and drink you know their work and that's all that they did and they were finding in the UK that people weren't doing that. And that's, you know, they were working their hours and they were doing their jobs. But for some reason, they couldn't convince them to work all the way through the night. And they were saying, well, you know, mate, what, how about if we offer them some more money? And it was like, well, yeah, but that's not going to work yeah. because actually they'll do their jobs and they understand what the jobs are. And if you ask them to do something, they will do it and they'll meet project deadlines, et cetera, and so forth. But you can't pay these people enough to do what you want them to do because that's not what they want to do that's not how they see their life so yes just throwing money at a situation and expecting that well that'd be enough we can just ask someone to sell themselves essentially for the money that we're offering no that's not always going to work frankly no. so how do we know if companies are getting it right well i suppose um there are a number of ways that, that sort of crudely you can measure it 
in terms of churn so you can see you know what's happening are you losing people you can obviously conduct um exit interviews with people uh and they may or may not be entirely honest with you about the reasons behind leaving but you can mm -hmm. yeah there, there's there's indications there mm -hmm. you can also see um things like Glassdoor as well I suppose you know there's ability for people anonymously to provide feedback you might also see challenges around actually recruit, uh, recruiting people in the first place as well if there's a reputational issue or there's a perception about the way that you behave or the way that you operate then that can impact upon your ability to um, to actually get people in the door to start with mm -hmm. so I think there's th th those are the obvious places to start I suppose yeah. um, as to how you might see are we you know are, uh, the proof is in the pudding you know we're trying to recruit and retain staff mm. are we recruiting and retaining the staff yeah. you know, that's, that's the starting yeah. point i guess and i think it's in, i think it's an interesting um dilemma for some companies because when you know when you talk about culture and you talk about employee experience they're quite general concepts aren't they and people say you know we, we can't measure that it's not quantifiable and actually it's hard to quantify because there's no one set definition of what these things are um, and our experience is different for each of us because it's a unique perspective. But I think, as you say, it's it's about you know performance and reputation and are people kind of you know are you recruiting or are people leaving? Yeah, and there's also the ability to ask people as well, isn't there? You know, staff surveys are, are helpful there as well. You can ask. It's not just about are people on the way out or can we get people through the door but actually the people that we've got at the moment do they feel that i mean you can say for example one of the values within your business is that you are dynamic mm. so how does one of your junior programmers feel that you are dynamic yeah. how, how, how does that actually touch upon them on a day-to-day -day basis how do they feel that yes. um, and so that's a challenge for all businesses to say well okay well, we have our values we've spent time thinking about what our values are how does that actually impact upon our employees working lives how can they feel us living those particular values there's often a massive disconnect isn't there between people's values and what they look like in practice it's, it's something i ask companies so often because they'll, they'll very proudly show their values if they have them um but it's like actually what does that mean you know what what do they look like in day-to-day -day practice um, they most people don't know or you might have someone very senior in the company who will be explaining well of course that means x y and z but the rest of the company have no idea what they should be doing to demonstrate that they are fulfilling those values or who you know what what would be recognized as um being in line with those values and actually do those values align with what each employee thinks is important um which is an entirely different uh, ball game because you know if you people are so much more aware of uh you know gender diversity or gender pay gap um diversity and inclusion uh the environment you know are these things that are important to me are those part of the values of the company i'm working with yeah well that's right you know do do, do um uh, am i actually aligned to this business is yeah. this the sort of place that i actually feel at home and yeah. some of that some of that becomes quite apparent early on i think if you join a new organization you feel that actually this isn't that the, the culture here the way that they work their values their expectations of me um whatever that might be however they aren't aligned then yeah it's something that maybe you can uh, establish um relatively early on but you i think you do see going back for one moment to um sort of working patterns if you like yeah, I'm getting feedback from recruiters at the moment that you're having people saying, right, well, I'm only interested in jobs if I can work exclusively from home, yes. or I'm only interested in jobs if I can work two days a week in the office or three at most. Mm -hmm. And other people saying, well, I want to come back straight away. I, I want to be back in the office because that's how I feel that it will work for me. And it's tempting for employers potentially to think, well, well, we've really got to get this right haven't we because there's an expectation and we're going to be losing out potentially on on talents that wouldn't look at us because we're unwilling to offer them um, the particular working patterns or the way that they want to operate but it's important for a business to think well hang on a minute, what's our value what what yes. how do we see this working yes. because there's no point hiring someone who doesn't lock into that if they want to do things differently that's great and they'll be fantastic and they'll do a brilliant job for someone else but just not for us because it's not there's the connect is not there yeah yeah and i think also going back to your the point you were making about gaining people's views and um you know through surveys and so on again that's has to be um there has to be some caution around that because again we know that people's perceptions of how that data is going to be used 
um, will skew how they answer the answer questions. And I, I was reading something recently about HR people are less honest um, than the rest of the, the staff about how great they think the company is. Um, and I think when, because they're, they're worried about, you know, they're supposed to be ambassadors of this company, they're supposed to say everything's amazing about it. So they don't want to undermine that message. And I think we have to be very careful about how, how we're collecting that information, what we're doing with it, and how we're communicating to the workforce about the purposes of, of collecting that and what we're doing with it. And that's an interesting, you know, people will often say, we're doing these surveys, but I don't think the amount of time that goes into doing the surveys, or the amount of data they collect necessarily drives the change that could happen um, or just raise awareness in the way that it could potentially happen. I think people are very good at almost ticking the survey box almost for the sake of it rather than actually being driving meaningful change. Yeah, I don't know what the data might be about how truthfully employment lawyers fill out uh, uh, surveys <laughs> either. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, but um, but also, the, yeah, it, that I think goes to employee experience as well, doesn't it? You know, once bitten, yeah. twice shy. If you if the employer continually asks you to fill out staff surveys and they ask for your opinion and you tell them what you think and then nothing changes, then you quickly become rather um, sceptical about the value of them. Mm. And so, yeah, there is clearly the need to communicate clearly about what you're looking mm. for, uh, what you're hoping to achieve, and then to feed back as well about the information you've received. But ultimately, there needs to be action at the end of it, because if not, what, what's the point? And it just devalues any further processes or effort, any further attempts you make, because people don't see that there's any benefit in doing it. Absolutely. And I've, I've been having some interesting conversations recently about the um, dilemma about being anonymous or not anonymous in surveys. Hmm. And you get leaders talking about the fact that actually, if you're not anonymous, people aren't going to fill it in. But then you end up having a massive amount of data which is highlighting perhaps a problem, but you don't know where specifically that problem is. So we end up saying, well, there's a bit of an issue around some management style, for example. So we now need to do manager training for the whole organization. And it actually mm. might be one or two managers who are struggling. So when we can craft those uh, methodologies to be a bit more specific and a bit more tailored, and that comes down to trust. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm gonna ask you and you're gonna provide me your name so that I can, take this information and I can make sure that your experience is a better experience by making sure we're tweaking what's relevant for you, then it means that we can start plugging specific needs, which might be around a particular manager, for example, a particular team or particular whatever it is, rather than having a mass of data and applying it to the whole organisation, um, which is a bit of a kind of hit and miss um, approach or can be. Yeah, and that's where appraisals can obviously come into play as well. You know, if you do have a robust um, appraisal process, including the ability for staff to feed back about their managers and to do mm -hmm. so, you know, that you'd look for them to be, uh, uh, to do that anonymously, to mm -hmm. empower them to say what they truly feel. Um, but to do that, that does help you identify particular challenges in particular areas. But then there's got to be follow through on it, hasn't there? In the same way that there has to be on the staff surveys. If someone identifies a problem and, and raises that, sticks their head above the parapet, even if they're doing it anonymously, mm. if then nothing is done and there's no change that's actually recognised, mm. then people are going to be more reluctant to say something in the future. Yeah. So what would you say to leaders or to companies who are a bit more, a bit sceptical still about employee experience? They don't quite see the value yet um, about engaging with this whole agenda? Well, I guess um, primarily I would I'd make the point that I've, I've already come across um, with you about you know, whatever we've done recently or whatever we've done to survive the pandemic is, is really not going to work in the future because the whole world of work has fundamentally changed. Mm. Um, we're very happy now to say, well, isn't it great that uh, people can work from anywhere. And I, I always slightly cautious saying that, of course, because we must remember that it's only 40, 45% or so of the UK population that is actually able to yes, work from exactly. home. So we have to be careful about what we're talking about here. Um, but if we do take that as a, as, a, as a statement that people now can work from anywhere, well, if they can work for anywhere, they can work for anyone. Mm. So why should they work for you? Mm. Um, you know, again, in our, in our professional services field, we've always looked at our competitors and who might be looking for the same pool of talent as us is it other firms in the Thames Valley mm. uh, well now all of a sudden anyone can mm. be looking at the talent that we're looking at because if you can work anywhere 
then um, why couldn't they work for a firm based in the city or somewhere else? And previously, individuals who may have been reluctant to take jobs because of a commute or because of the challenges that might have otherwise been faced, um, childcare, whatever it might be, all of a sudden, that uh, increased level of flexibility allows them to consider those options, otherwise they might not have done. So you'll find yourself in a much larger pool for competing to recruit and retain the best talent. And, you know, resources are not, uh, are, sorry, are finite. You know, you can't just throw money at situations. Um, and therefore you need to think about what your employee offering is. Mm. Because if you don't, other people will be thinking about this. And some people will outcompete you just because they can pay more than you. But if you can't compete on price or, or, or salary, then what are you competing on? Yes. And if you're also working in an environment where people are spending less time with their colleagues, um, they become perhaps a little less sticky. Mm. You know, you think of the relationships that maybe you might have built over the years, working closely, sat next to someone in an office, mm. going out for lunch with them, with drinks with them. Yeah, if a fantastic job offer came your way, then you would probably, the fact that you got on really well with Susie might not be enough to keep you in role, but they are factors that, that lock you in, these pull factors yes. that keep you within the business. Yes. Now, if you're sat in your own individual silo working in your spare bedroom all the time, well, then you are less connected, aren't you? Exactly. You know? And I think that that underlies, underlies a kind of um, particular challenge that companies are having about how to build that stickiness so because you know because once upon a time as you said people would be part of a team it's so this is kind of my identity this is where i belong people yeah. don't have such a sense of belonging anymore so when we're all working in our silos how do people create that stickiness so that i still feel that really strong connection with my team with my company you know that's my that's where essentially i belong rather than being pulled somewhere else yeah, I mean, USPs are potentially disappearing, aren't they? Yeah. You know, and if, you're, if your USP was, well, it's great, you can work in the Thames Valley, it's fantastic, you know, it's a nice place to be, and also we're a great bunch of people to work with. Well, actually, the Thames Valley thing becomes potentially less important because yeah. you're working anywhere, mm -hmm. and the great bunch of people, well, I never see you. So does it really matter if you're a great bunch of people? Yeah. So, it, you know, it's what has worked in the past mm. is not necessarily going to work in the future. Yeah. So I think it's it's really important that businesses recognize that. And, and if they only wake up to this in two years time, it will be too late. It will yes. be too late. Yes. And I think that's where it'll, it'll show. So the people who are digging their heels in saying not interested, you either choose to sit back and observe and see what yeah. happens in two years time or start you know implementing something and seeing what difference it makes or just start reading the data there was a study by um or some research by jacob morgan author of the employee experience advantage who found that um companies that invested in employee experience were four times more profitable than those that don't um and you know there, there is so much data around there are so many studies around now that show the impact of getting employee experience right whatever that means to your particular employee group um, and your particular company, that to, to ignore that, um, you kind of do it at your, your own risk, I think. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, um, you know, you can't expect people to just hang on in there and just accept the offering that was made to them before, mm -hmm. because there's a whole world of additional opportunities out there for them yeah. and that, that's even before you start considering whether people have had changes of career in mind or just want to work differently or, or you know or, or expand their horizons mm. you know you, you've just got a, a, a bigger pool that you're competing with now and you need you, you know I think businesses just need to up their games really yeah and I think it'll be an inter that's an interesting message for um, recruiters and companies to be aware of because I've heard uh, polarized views about uh, whether we should be just on the side of the companies and they should just decide what they want or they should be on the side of the um, the talent pool and just backing them and there's there are some very polarized views on that which again is where we have to just help nudge people gently in the right direction and, and just remind people that people know you know employees or potential employees know potentially what they have a right for now and what they're expecting. Um, the media has also let people know much more about mental health and well-being. I mean, we haven't even touched on that today, but that whole massive agenda around 
actually I want a company who's going to care for me and who's going to look after me and who's going to notice if I'm not okay and actually if I don't feel okay I can go and talk openly and honestly about it and they're going to support me and people are you know they almost have their list now of this is what's really important to me and mm -hmm. does the company tick tick all of these off and if not I'm going somewhere else yeah but I think uh, ultimately it's about businesses deciding what is their identity so what yeah. what are our values what what who are we what are we going to do? How are we going to do it? And how are people going to feel that? And then once we've established that, then we live to it. In the same way that um, it's tragic to, to realise this as you grow older, but there will be plenty of people that you'll meet in life that just won't like you. You know, you yeah, just won't exactly. gel with them. They're not your sort of person. And that is fine. fine. That is okay. That's part of being human. Yeah. And in the same way, you will have your business, you will have your cultures, you will do some things in a certain way. And there will be some people who won't want that. That's not who they want. Yes. But there will be other people who do want that. But what you need to be is clear about who you are and what you're doing. And therefore, that will give you the ability to recruit the sort of people that you do want and retain mm -hmm. the sort of people that you do want into the business. And you can't please everyone because, as I've said already, you know recruiters are reporting these people saying I don't want to work from home at all or people saying I want to come back work work from home or work in the office all the time those two views are incompatible you can't be both of those things yeah. necessarily yeah. to both of those potential recruits but who are you and what do you want yeah. it's going back to and, basics isn't it yeah. and actually consciously revising what you're about and not just saying yeah. Yeah, we know our identity because this is you know we did this exercise two years ago we read you know we thought through our values then it's actually you need to do it now you know so it's a, it's a new year in 2022 it's kind of like where are you right now revise it or check everybody's in line with it um you know be clear about what you're leading I remember I had a conversation with someone a few years ago who had riled at the fact that their organization had been referred to as a lifestyle firm and I said, well, in my opinion, every organization is a lifestyle firm because whoever it is you work for, that will enable you to live a particular lifestyle. And for some individuals, their lifestyle demands or expectations or requirements will be vastly different to that of others. And there's nothing wrong with identifying, accepting the fact that you are a lifestyle business because everyone is and it's yes. about actually what's the lifestyle that we're offering our employees what what's yes. the expectation of of them and are we then are we then following through and are we doing what we say we will do yeah and i think that's it that ties in quite well with this whole um debate about you know the work-life balance which you know what is this notion of work life actually work is part of your day-to-day -day life and actually it's where we spend a huge amount of our time so is it about work non-work activities is it about how you integrate your working time and your non-working time, which isn't necessarily your nine to five anymore. And like true integration of companies are going down that route are much more flexible about um, which hours people work to be able to accommodate. I can walk the dog at three o'clock in the afternoon if I want to or collect my kids from school or whatever I need to do. Um, I've still got my working hours done and still working around the core that the company requires of me. I can still do everything the company needs of me, but I can integrate it with my own life if I'm working outside of the outside of the office working from home or working somewhere else I think, gone. no I was going to say I think that has definitely been one of the pos definite positive impacts mm -hmm. of the uh, of the pandemic has been the shift from businesses thinking less about input and more about output yes. and recognizing that there's there's more than one way to do things and clearly you know if you're um if you're um, a uh, if you're operating a, a call center, then you need people to be available to be able to answer the calls yeah. when you're open and you're operating. But at the same time, uh, in lots of organisations, you know, you, you if you do want to do the school run, if you've got to go and pick the kids up or whatever it might be, how is that any different to when you were in the office two years ago and going and having a cup of coffee and chatting with your friends while you're making a cup yeah. of coffee? Yeah. You know, there's there's no real difference in that, to be honest with you. And it's a, not necessarily about checking um, exactly how people do things. It's more about well, what have they done and what have they achieved? Yeah. But I, the, the, the danger with that, though, and this is um, something that I have discussed both internally within the firm, but also uh, externally with clients as well, is if you're willing to accept that people, if they've been busy, if they've got childcare, if they've had to do the school run, if they've had to cook dinner for the kids or whatever it might be, them deciding that they're going to send those additional emails at 7.30, 8 o'clock, whatever it might be, when they've got the kids to bed, well, then that's fine if that's convenient for them. But the worry is that then that extends the day 
and people are working longer hours. And then, of course, if those emails are received by somebody else, do they then feel compelled to then respond to them extending their day out? Absolutely. And that's where you need the really good um, communication and clarity around expectations. And again, a very personal approach. So understanding that actually for someone, sending emails between 7 and 8 p.m. at night might suit them better because of another a particularly need of them in the, in the daytime and as long as that's been okayed by the company then that works but making it clear that this is about this is where it comes back to being personal and having that um, knowledge of your individuals within your team and knowing what their circumstances are and communicating to everybody that for everyone it's going to be slightly different and making it very clear about your boundaries if someone's emailing you outside of a particular time you don't need to you don't need to respond but I think that has to come from being very clearly communicated and very clearly demonstrated because again it's that you know saying one thing and then actually there the, being the kind of criticism or the um the subtle uh kind of messages that are coming across that actually I really should have re replied to that email that came through at nine o'clock last night and why didn't I and, and it's having those very very clear boundaries and expectations about what is and isn't okay yeah absolutely it's but uh, well I mean, a lot of what we're talking about here really is coming down to communication isn't it it's, it's yeah. the ability to <laughs> to be clear with people yes. about what the level of expectations yes. are what you what you need to do and what what you don't need to do or what's what the expectations might be thank you andy for joining me today um okay. if people wanted to get in touch with you to kind of follow up anything you've said or to find out a bit more or to seek your help um can they get in touch with you yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, first place to look is at the Boys Turner website, which is uh, boysturner.com. It's B-O-Y-E-S, turner.com. You can find us there. Uh, I'm there as well. And you can find all my contact details on there, my email address, um, my, uh, uh, my phone number as well. You can also find me on LinkedIn. Um, do remember the odd spelling of my name on there, which is White Acker. W-H-I-T-E-A-K-E-R. Uh, you'll find me there. I'm relatively active on that, posting my thoughts and opinions on there from time to time. So yeah, you, you can find me in either of those places. And my email address for, for the record is just uh, A Whitaker, that odd spelling again, at boyscenter.com. Fabulous. Thank you ever so much, Andy. Very much appreciated. Great stuff. No problems. Thanks a lot. Thank you for joining me today on Beyond the Water Cooler. If you love it, I would really appreciate a five-star review as this helps more people to find the podcast. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe so you get notifications every time we publish a new episode. If something in this episode has got you chomping at the bit or if you'd like to discuss the topics covered in this podcast further, please do get in touch and we can continue the conversation. You can find me at lisa at itstimeforchange.co.uk my details are in the show notes. If you'd like to be kept in the loop on what I'm getting up to, I publish a monthly roundup. To sign up, head over to itstimeforchange.co.uk forward slash join the club. I'm always looking for new interesting people to chat with on the Beyond the Water Cooler podcast. So if you have a story to tell or know of anyone who would be an inspiration to talk to, please do get in touch. And lastly, I'd love to know what you would like to hear about on the podcast. So drop me a line for all suggestions. And that way I can make sure that what I'm talking about is most helpful. See you next time.